Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Ann Mank, wealth coach and wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. So visit ellenbecker.com for more details. I'm super excited for today's episode because we are going to talk to an expert in leadership. And she recently has written a book. It's been a really good read. So I've been taking my time through it. And it's all about flexing. And so we'll talk about that as well. Her name is Susan Ashford. She holds the Michael and Susan Jandernoa Professorship and is a chair of the Management and Organizations Group at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Her academic work has been published in all the top journals in her field, and she has been recognized with not one, but two Lifetime Achievement Awards for her scholarship from the Academy of Management. And she has a new book out. It's called The Power of Flexing, How to Use Small Daily Experiments to Create Big Life-Changing Growth. So welcome to the show, Sue. So glad you're here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here as well. Well, the first thing that stands out when I was reading and just from the title of the book is experiments. Mm. And so I find that really intriguing because I am definitely from, you know, the fixed mindset growing up you must do well, you must succeed. If you don't do well, then you're not good. You know, you really personalized it. But I think the thought of having it as an experiment is really interesting. So how does experiments come in when we're talking about goal setting or making changes? Yeah, uh, the notion of experiment actually ties to the word most people ask me about, which is flexing. Like, what does flexing mean? And it basically is just to suggest a more practical, usable, flexible approach to growing something. And I started out teaching people how to grow their leadership. In the book, we expanded it to personal and interpersonal effectiveness because Those two things are so intricately intertwined. You can't be a good leader if you're not personally and interpersonally effective. So, but we wanted to talk to people who aren't even in organizations, but still want to grow. And the idea of flexing sort of ties pretty tightly to experiments. You know, we're not going to grow if we don't try something new. But often we think of that as something we need to set aside from our everyday life, go off and go to a course, go off and, you know, start a new graduate program. So we learn new skills. But and when you're learning skills in leadership, you don't really need to do all of that. You need to more be in your experiences you're having anyway, but just take an attitude towards them. that's about learning and trying different things in kind of an experimental way 
try it, see if it works, keep it, drop it, try something else, that kind of thing. But it's like using your experiences you'd be having anyway to also learn and grow. You know, what it made me start thinking about was, you know, we all say we need to exercise more. And so when we approach it, it's okay, I'm going to exercise every day for 30 minutes because I need exercise. Well, what tends to happen is we try it. Three days is great. Fourth day, you know, fourth day, we forget about it. Fifth day, we say, you know what, I've already missed a day. I'll start next week. And so how does your idea of flexing or experimenting change that dialogue or help that goal along the way? Um, well, yes, I love this one because I, I always note in my own life, pretty soon you're just thinking about exercising. You're not actually ever doing any exercising. Right, right. It, it's not a goal I focus on because the book is about personal and interpersonal effectiveness. And I th- mean things like listening better, being more influential, um, you know, being more approachable if that's an issue. But, you know, the the approach would fit with exercising more as well. It's basically saying um, set a goal for something you want to do, which I get you, it was in your example. I'm going to exercise 30 minutes a day. Um, one of the big things we've learned from research is that if you set implementation intentions, which is a big buzzword, but if you set some ideas around how you're going to do that thing you said you want to do, you do more of it. So if you say at 9 a.m. on Saturday, I go to the gym and you make it a contingency, just the act of setting those intentions is associated with more doing and less slippage. So it's more you're getting clear on what you're going to do when, and then you have if then statements about obstacles. If it's raining, I'm still going, I'll go by car, uh, something like that. So you, you make it more tangible and real. Well, and that's a great point too, because some things are going to come in the way. And I know you also have a point in the book that I know we'll get to, but it's all about reflecting. And so part of it is saying, okay, why didn't this work? How do I make it a little bit better? So I'm going to take a really quick break, but then when we come back, what I'd really like to do is kind of dig in to those those steps that you have in the book on how we really can use the power of flexibility and the power of flexing when we're talking about personal and professional growth. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm your host, Anne Mank, Wealth Advisor and Wealth Coach with Ellen Becker Investment Group. Today, we have Susan Ashford with us, who is the author of a very interesting book. I think it has a lot of great insight. It's The Power of Flexing. And in there, she talks about a couple of practices that will help you use this this theory or this way of, of life. Susan, are there some that you particularly would like people to focus on as they're starting to learn how to flex? Yeah. First, let me tell you why I think it's important to have some practices in mind, uh, some habits you develop around practices. Because when, when researchers talked to leaders who had made it really far and were considered very effective in their lives, they said, how did you learn to do what you do? And they said, 
the most we learned was from our experience. We learned 70% of what we learned from experience, 20% from other people, 10% from books and classes. But this book is really about how do you get the most out of that 70%? How do you get the most out of your experiences? Because we often go through experiences somewhat mindlessly, Probably you've driven mindlessly from point A to point B or eaten mindlessly. We all do that. And we don't learn as much as we could from them. And so the book has really said, how do you create people to, that can learn more from experiences? And it's a set of practices that help people to do that. So I'll just talk about a couple. Um, one we've talked about a little bit, which is setting an intention, setting a goal for your own development. You're going to do whatever the experience demands of you anyway. If it's running a strategy retreat for your company, that's a big, huge task. You're gonna get all the resources. You're gonna put a lot of effort into it. You're going to do that. The book argues that you could also learn a little bit more about you, your personal effectiveness while you're doing that thing you're doing anyway, if you were to put it on your agenda. So, for example, let's say you've heard one too many times that you just don't listen, that people don't perceive you as interested in their input. And as a leader, that's a problem. So maybe you decide this time when you run the strategy retreat, you're also going to focus on being a better listener and showing your listening to other people so that they see it in you. And so one is setting an intention. And then to go back to those experiments we talked about, you know, you don't get to a new behavior by doing that which you always have done. You have to try something new to make it be different. And so you might experiment with during the retreat, you might go last as the leader so that everybody knows that you want to hear what they say. You might work on something as simple as your nonverbals. Do you look down and at your phone when people are talking or do you look them in the eye? Do you nod at them? Um, and you might, another experiment might be that you, you summarize what you've heard before you give your point. So there's a lot of things you can do to try to make it different. And then you get to see whether it had any effect um, as you move on. So the point of having practices is the experiences are where we're going to learn a lot, but only if we go at them differently. Well, and that's a very interesting point, because like you said, a lot of times we go and start tackling the next project or start doing the next thing. And we really don't stop to think, well, is there something I can work on during this process? Because we're so worried about the to-do list that we don't worry about the intention or what we want to bring to the situation or, um, you know, just having that mindfulness. Uh, yeah, well, exactly. And, and yet also side by side with that, you probably do have some things that in late night hours or in conversations with colleagues, you know, you want to work on. Mm -hmm. We just don't put them together in the same time period. Yep. And so to me, it's just like bringing another level of awareness to the experiences you're going to have anyway, which is another way I use the word flexing, is instead of like thinking of learning as something you do in a different setting and offline, something you do while you're doing what you're doing. Um, we can bring those things together 
and learn more efficiently and I think more effectively. Yeah. And that reminds me of one thing that I'm doing right now is of reading a book. And it's, you know, one of the things in there, it's teaching you how to remember individuals' names when you're introduced. Uh And so that's a perfect example of, okay, now I have this concept from this book. I don't have to make it this whole separate project of, you know, I'm going to do this and that's my main goal. It's no, every time now I have an interaction, I can set the intention of, let me practice this, Um, you know, because they gave us a couple of ways of doing it in the book. So I have multiple different experiments I can do along the way. Yes, I love that. And it's not like you have to remember it for every interaction. And let's say you're going to a networking event. You say, I want to try those experiments around that goal that I have of being better in connecting with people. Right. So then how do, you know, so you have the intention, you kind of come up with an experiment. How do you get it so that it really does become something that you can use? Like, how does it become instead of just something that's happening to you that now it's an experience you're learning from? Yeah, well, in the leadership area, it requires another practice, which is seeking or attending to feedback. You know, leadership mm-hmm. is a contact sport. It's interpersonal. You don't do it on your own in your, in your office. You do it through interacting with people. And so, you know, things I've studied for decades, it's not how you think you're doing that matters. It's how they think you're doing. It's not if you think you're coming across as a warm, sensitive human and they think you're Attila the Hun, doesn't really matter what you think. And so part of it is learning to be more tuned in to how you're landing, how your ideas are landing, the impact you're having on others. And that requires a couple of different practices. One is feedback seeking. So really attending to patterns and the reactions you're getting uh, as opposed to a one-off because a one-off could take you on some different path. But but you notice, notice a pattern. I always say in my teaching, if one student falls asleep, it's probably them. If everybody's <laughs> asleep, it's probably me. I need to work <laughs> on that segment a little bit. Um, so you look at patterns or maybe you ask someone, Maybe you say, you know, I'm really, as a boss, I'm working on my listening. Um, Do you have any feedback for me? Mm -hmm. And we did a study a long time ago where we asked people about um, whether they sought feedback. And then we asked their subordinates, what do we think of this boss? Bosses were seen, people were seen as more effective by basically everybody, their boss, their subordinates, their peers, if they actually did seek feedback as opposed to avoiding it. And I think people worry that I don't want to seek feedback. I'll look, I'll look kind of weak. Turns out it's exactly the opposite. You look like you care and that's important. Interesting. And I think, and what I would like that you added, here's what I'm working on and I'd like your feedback. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we keep that within ourselves and we don't necessarily vocalize what we're working on. I think that's an important part too, especially when you're doing feedback that makes it very focused and it also makes it, you know, something that you can learn from versus all this random, oh, let me tell you everything here. It's like, no, just tell me about this. This is what I'm working on. (laughs) Yeah. And people turns out like bosses who are working on something, right? Trying to be better for them. And then one of the final practices, and and, you know, all of this, I'm just skimming the surface. Uh, You know, you'd need to read the book, but the other one is reflection. You know, that taking, finding some time or some way 
to spend a bit of time reflecting on what's happening relative to your goals. You know, so if we take you in the trying to remember names example, so after some big networking event, it's a good time to spend a little bit of time reflecting. Did I do those experiments or did they completely leave my head and I never gave them any thought? What happened when I did? You know, did I notice someone's face light up with joy that I knew their name? Or did it, did it not matter? Did I have an easier time with some names and worse time with others? What do I need to adjust? But you need that time to sort of synthesize things and figure out where you are. And that's great advice. I hear that a lot, like when you go to a seminar or, you know, if anything that you're learning to take the moment to digest it so that it becomes part of you versus, you know, in one ear out the other type of thing. So what I'd like to do next is, you know, we'll take a short break, but we've talked about leadership quite a bit. And I'd like to hear what your definition of leadership is, or what does leading look like? So we'll talk about that when we come right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Ann Mank, wealth advisor and wealth coach with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we have Susan Ashford. She is the author of the book, The Power of Flexing. And we've been talking about just a different way of looking at being flexible. How do you flex? How do you make sure that if you have an intention, that it actually becomes part of you? Uh, you do that through experimenting. You do that through reflection, getting feedback. But what I really want to know is what, it, what makes a leader? What is leadership? Because we hear this word out there a lot. Um, people might tell you you're a leader and you're like, no, I don't think I'm a leader, but they must be seeing something in there. So what is your definition of leadership and leading? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, there was once a new web like group that got started for academics and someone posted before we get started, could someone just define leadership? And three months later, people were still posting their nuanced, you know, definition that related to someone else's definition in a different way. So this is hotly debated, but at the core of leadership is social influence. It's one person trying to influence another person, and then it's it's delimited by trying to influence them to go to a particular place, a particular strategy, follow a particular course of action, and motivate them to keep moving along that path. So we're going here and let's motive, keep motivated to keep moving on that path. So you can see how it relates also to what we're talking about, uh, where you're trying to develop your leadership, but you also need to set a place you're going, set a goal and keep yourself motivated to move on that path. So self-leadership and leading others are fairly similar activities and you know, I know this is a, a radio program having to do with wealth and wealth management, et cetera. And, you know, it does seem to me that that requires some self-leadership and probably requires some identification of a place where you need to grow um, and so forth. So it probably does need some power of flexing. 
For example, a woman we interviewed for the book owns a bed and breakfast in the wine country. And if you have followed what's happened in California the last two years, she's managed a bed and breakfast through two fire seasons where the town was evacuated and now a pandemic. And it was taking a huge toll on her and she wanted to sell. So selling in piece of property, you know, for a very, it's very expensive piece of property intertwined with family money, intertwined with, you know, state laws and regulations, county strictures, et cetera. She found that her personal effectiveness bugaboo was that every time she'd find something she didn't know what to do, she'd just be totally stymied. It would go from her to-do list on one day to the next day to the next day, and she wasn't getting any of it done, which means she wasn't moving towards her goal of selling the in. And what she had to do was to set a goal that I'm going to make progress even when I don't know what to do. Hmm. And so she started some experiments. First of all, she worked on those goals first in the morning before she did her email um, and before she got involved in other things. And she allowed herself to consider as progress simply learning more. Because before she would get to, I don't know what to do, and she'd just sort of drop off. Now she concluded learning as part of making progress, because indeed it was. So I wonder about, and you would know better than I, whether any of the, the folks you talk to struggle with that. So they don't know what some complicated new financial instrument is, and so they don't make progress on including that in their portfolio or they get emotionally attached to something that's been in their family, but they really need to move away from it. So I would think some of these dynamics might play out. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking, I have like 30 or 40 different examples in my head, everything from, I have to help my parents get into assisted living, but my parents don't want to get out of the house. So how do you help the parents make the progress needed to get the care that they need? Or I know I need financial advice. I just can't get myself to go talk to an advisor because I don't want to look dumb or I don't think I have enough already to have for them to help me. Or we do start working with someone and we say, okay, here's your financial plan, but we also need to look at life insurance because I can put a great plan in place, but if you don't have the right insurance and you get hit by a bus, all of a sudden now that plan is no longer good or you need your estate planning. So I see that quite often. And when you were talking about setting the intention, like what we had the example before of remembering names, I think this would come in very handy if I'm talking to someone and we're trying to make sure they can save. And so I always try and get that goal front of mind. But if they have the intention when they go to the store Mm -hmm. of saying, how can I reduce, like if I go to Target, I usually spend $200. How can I reduce that by $10? And so that's where the intention might come in. And then you can say, well, let me see how I'll try this. Maybe I won't go down this aisle and that'll help me save money. But there's little things that, you know, just on a very small micro level that you can use the power of intention, goal setting, and then you have the immediate feedback. Did I spend it or not? Like it's there. (laughs) Um, But then also reflecting on what you might be able to do 
you know, at different time. I know it's a really small example, but I think it's something that people commonly, you know, even if they're leading their family, how do I lead my family budget? Well, this might be one way that they might be able to do that. I actually love how our examples have bounced around from, you know, uh, going to the gym to remembering names to, you know, managing my spending. And that's part of the pattern in the book. The book isn't just my experiences. It's based on a lot of academic research. And and we talked to 72 people um, that are highly effective in their lives about what they do. Some of them are parents. Some of them are young people starting out in careers. Some of them are well-established leaders. And so it's really this set of ideas and examples really in the book sort of runs the gamut as well. So I love the one you're doing, you did with the Target store because you brought in all the elements and yet it's just a simple thing you can do. Again, you don't have to go to a big class to learn it and you also can weave it into your day pretty easily. And and yes, you will be doing leadership in your family. So when it comes to leadership too, that kind of the thing that sticks in my head is I always assume leadership is if I'm going to be a leader, I have to like be involved with the person I'm trying to lead. I have this concept of, I need to make sure that we're all on the same page, share my vision, but it could also be just leading through example. I don't necessarily have to try to physically affect the person I'm trying to lead, but sometimes it's just being the person who goes first. And so I think sometimes with the finances, it's just the person who goes first and that's how they might be able to lead either their family and organization. Yeah, I think that's right. I talk about how you, how you decide someplace you need to grow, for example. And there's two ways. One is I call fantasies of the future. Like what is the future Sue going to be like, you know, she's going to be, you know, save money and go exercise and be approachable and listen better. And often you get those ideas from watching a role model. So that role model, which is what you mentioned, is leading. You know, they, they, may, they don't even know it, but they're having a, an influence on another person, setting a direction they want to go in. So that, that fits in the definition of leadership. The other way you said a growth intention is what I call the pain of the present. So fantasies of the future and the pain of the present. And I imagine in your line of work, the pain of the present comes up a lot. It does, yes. <laughs> but it does in trying to grow as a leader or trying to grow in your career as a young, you know, freshly starting out professional. Some things get screwed up, you know, some things you know, aren't working right and you want to change to make it better. So I think we all live with a little bit of the pain of the present as a motivator. And sometimes it can be a very good motivator. So does somebody have to have experience in order to be a leader? I am a big believer that leaders are not just people who hold formal positions of authority in organizations. So it's not just the CEO, the vice president, the manager. In fact, in many of my executive classes, I'll ask people, have you ever had a boss who didn't lead? And every hand in the room goes up like, oh yeah, I've had that. So sometimes those people don't lead. And also often leadership will come 
from somewhere else. You know, you work in a challenge school and the principal isn't leading at all, but the science teacher down the hall is rallying people around a new curriculum, helping getting them motivated to, to go there and, and do it. And that person really is the leader. So leadership really comes up when people claim the role, they claim it by trying to lead and it's granted back to them. Or the cycle starts with something you raised earlier. You said sometimes people say, you're really a leader and you're like, I am. They're, They're granting it that identity to you. They see something in you. And after a while, you'll start to say, oh, I ought to start leading more because I think I'm a leader. Um, And then the identity goes around. But I think it can come from anywhere. And our organizations would work a lot better if we lived by that ethic. Um, And we endorsed the leadership in everyone. That's the final way that flexing in the title is relevant. Instead of organizations picking 10% of their people and saying, you're high potential, I want to invest in you. And they turns out research suggests they don't even get that right. They don't often pick the right people. But what that says to 85 to 90% is you're not leaders. This is a, a set of ideas that anyone can do. Anyone can pick up and do these and grow as leaders, whether the organization has seen their potential or not. And maybe they will start to see it, or maybe you take those gifts to another company. And what I like about that is it's simple, but you know, it's hard to implement. Like there's steps. I know what to do, but in order to do that, I want to talk next about a little bit about how does somebody bring this into an organization? So they're on board, they're either the owner of the organization or, you know, they are somebody who's been put in a leadership position. How do they enable these practices in their organizations. And then also, if there's anything in there of today's day and age where people are looking for jobs, they're looking for people to come on to work. I mean, I know there's openings, we have openings here. So it's all over, like, how can you use this so that you can either attract or keep the employees you have in today's day and age? So we'll talk about that when we come back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm your host today, Anne Mank, Wealth Advisor and Wealth Coach with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we have author Susan Ashford. She is the author of the book, The Power of Flexing. And I'm really excited to be able to talk about how do you implement this? A lot of times you read a book, it's great, but there's not a lot of well, here's how you put it in action. Here's how you can make change in the organization. And in the book, there's a lot of great information of, okay, I gave you the practices. Now here's how you can go about making a change. Can you walk us through some of the key points in there? Yeah, I love this question because the practices are something any individual can use anywhere for anything. And we've sort of seen that in in our chat. But they don't have to do it alone. And in fact, doing it alone is and counting on that is a recipe for failure in a company setting because it won't stick. So we want to develop some 
practices around what people are doing to reinforce and strengthen what they're doing. So imagine if a company onboarded, say, 20 people in a year. A lot of our MBA students go into companies like that, and they do a rotation program. They go into finance for three months and marketing for three months and HR for a couple months, et cetera. Well, what if, in addition to them learning finance, marketing, et cetera, you also wanted them to learn and grow themselves, their effectiveness. So what mm-hmm. if you had them get together, you introduced them to these ideas, and you supported them in setting a goal for their growth um, during the first rotation? Um, and I, when I say, what if you, I mean you as an HR department, you as a training department, instead of training them in skills, train them in how to learn skills train them how to learn how to develop. So then they go off to their first rotation and, you know, they're prompted to to try their experiments. They're prompted to seek some feedback. And then you bring them together at the end of those three months and they chat together about what they learned and they decide, should I work on a new goal? Should I keep that goal? So you reflect together, you send them off to the next rotation, bring them back, they reflect together. At the end of that year or two years of rotation, they not only are going to learn a lot about finance and marketing, HR, et cetera, but they're also going to learn a lot about themselves and be bonded as a cohort. They're going to like learn, they're going to be more connected to those people that they shared at a deeper level with. So that's just one really tangible example of how you could use these ideas. It would come down to also and reviews. Like as you were explaining that, I'm like, that'd be a great process to have on quarterly or annual reviews. So you might not be in a rotation, but maybe you're in an accounting department and you have quarterly reviews. Well, let's put in some growth. And it might be, I need to share my ideas more because a lot of times you hear when individuals are in a meeting, there are some people that speak up, some people that don't. And so if you notice that as a manager or a director, you could say, would you want to work on this? Is this something that's important to you? And let me support you. And then that's way it's not like, oh, did you process 100 invoices a day? It's something that the person, they can develop, they can grow, they can then, you know, have satisfaction of coming to, to work every day because they are, in essence, changing themselves, not just processing 100 invoices. Yes, I love how you put that. And you asked before the break about what does this say about the world we're in today of the need to attract talent and retain talent? You know, people care about doing something that's meaningful, you know, working for a company that has a meaningful purpose, but also they care about their ability to grow. You know, people are seeing that as something that they really want to do on have on their agenda and, you know, become the best versions of themselves as they go through, go through their lives. Um, So I love that. And, you know, so what it means is managers need to be steeped in the power of flexing this set of ideas, and then they can implement them as they work with their people. I would shout out one company, which is Microsoft. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella uh, loved a book by Carol Dweck, um, uh, called The Growth Mindset. And the, 
that those ideas are one chapter in the book because the mindset you bring to your achievement situations makes a huge difference in what you're going to learn. If you're so vested in proving how great you are, you're never going to learn very much because you won't even open your mind to hear the feedback or uh, even want to seek it in the first place and a variety of other little issues there. So he loved growth mindset. He said, I'm a CEO. I ought to be able to do something to get this, um, you know, sort of institutionalized in my company. And he's widely acclaimed for doing so. So those managers who ask about, you know, you seem to have a reluctance to share ideas. Is that something you'd like to work on? That's what's happening at Microsoft. Um, And, you know, this idea about growing and learning. And, you know, he said, I, we've got to move from a know-it-all company to a learn-it-all company. And, you know, it really attracts, you know, I interviewed for my books, several young Michigan grads who are in that company, and they're really attracted to this idea of I get to grow. And it's a great point to bring up, especially in the finance world. I mean, we are under such, you know, pressure to not be wrong because we deal with everyone's money. So we bring that to everything in our corporation. Like I can't process this wrong. I can't talk to this person wrong. And by having this process, it helps us develop more of that growth mindset because I see a lot of fixed mindset in the finance world. Like I am right. Uh, we're not going to try that because if it goes wrong, I don't want to look wrong. You know, I need a good track record, but to be able to have the power of flexing where it is not about right and wrong, it's about an intention and experimenting because there's no right or wrong outcome to an experiment. It's like, you have a theory, you try it, did it work or not? And then you reflect and move on. And so I think that takes it away from the, yes, you're right. Yes, you're wrong and might make working together as a team more enjoyable because we don't have to worry about being wrong. We just have to, you know, is that person now reflecting on what happened and making changes, trying to experiment to be a little bit better? Yeah, and maybe the team, instead of focused on prevent, 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 could focus on how can we help make this experiment contained? So that if we are wrong, the damage is not huge because right. you know, I realized in your line of work, you're dealing with people's money and they take that pretty seriously. So, <laughs> but yeah. I, I like how you do it where it's not, it takes it away from defense and makes it offense. That's kind of what came to my, my head is like, how do we make this a better experience for the client, for ourselves? We know things are going to go wrong. How do we make that experience better versus okay, we're going to do everything we can to either cover it up or to fix it right away, but we're all miserable as we're doing it. Right. Uh, A mindset that loosens some of that up could be very useful. And I think like the Microsoft example, some of that does need to come from pretty high up in the organization Mm -hmm. because everyone's worried about pleasing the level above them. And so it rises all the way to the top. And I think Nadella's example, and he's not the only person who has done this, but it's pretty widely cited as a case where it's made a huge difference. If you look at the returns at Microsoft since he took over, is a great one for suggesting to CEOs, yeah, you might want to think about some of this. How do you build this in 
and make a make it cultural, make it part of the culture. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like Microsoft did a really good job leading in that area. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are that role model leader you mentioned. Right. Well, perfect. Well, Sue, thank you so much. This has been really enjoyable. Wealth of information. Highly recommend getting The Power of Flexing, the book that just came out a couple of weeks ago. So Sue, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or see more information about what your book is about or what you're currently doing, where would they find you? Super simple. Just look for me at susanashford.com. Oh. You'll find everything you need there. I like simplicity. Well, thank you, Sue. And if anybody has any additional questions for her, just let us know. And if you would want some more information, ellenbecker.com is the place to find us. Money Sense airs on Saturdays from two to three and on Sundays from noon till one. And if you like today's show and want to know more, please visit ellenbecker.com or call us at 262-691-3200. As always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen.